All roads lead to power. And on this show, we're going to break that idea down a little bit. What is power? Who has it? And how do you get it? I'm your host, Jeff Coulard. Welcome to the show. A realization that power without love is reckless and abusive and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. Because the so-called real world of men and money and power comes merrily along on the fuel of fear and anger and frustration and craving and the worship itself. The really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline. If people don't learn power, people don't wake up. If they don't wake up, they get left out. Okay, welcome to Powerful, the live stream edition. Again, my name is Jeff Coulard, and I am your host. And today I'm really excited about the conversation that I'm going to have and that you're going to listen in on and that you're going to have, essentially, with my good friend and colleague and mentor in a lot of ways, uh, Vince Fowler. Vince has an incredible history of personal and professional development from time spent in the military to time spent as a rugby coach and player at a high level to his time, his work now as an executive and business coach. And he's just got a ton of insight and a ton of wisdom in what it takes to grow and change and to help other people grow and change. And so I'm really excited about today's episode. Welcome, Vince Fowler. Hello, sir. Thank you for joining me. It's always a pleasure to connect with you. My pleasure. Absolute pleasure. I, I would not hesitate to share a little airtime with you. Yeah, well, it, I, I always enjoy our conversations. And you're actually a returning guest. You were one of the very first guests on the on Powerful when it was just a podcast. And now that it's a live stream, I thought I'd have to have you back on so people can see your beautiful face and uh, your scotch collection. <laughs> there it is. Oop, there it is. <laughs> There's some anyways. Yes. Don't tell so, my wife. Yeah, no, I, I won't. I definitely won't. <laughs> I think she's watching though, so it's all good. Yeah. So today I was really hoping that we could dig into some some key ideas that you have and we've talked lots about around this idea of embracing the suck. And I see you're wearing your t-shirt and we've got the hashtag on your name as well. So why don't we just start there and we can orient the viewer a little bit to what does that actually mean? What are we talking about when you say embrace the suck and why, you know, why is this an important philosophy for you? And then maybe we'll dig into your backstory and some of the the experiences you've had. Sure. So two things, uh, one, what it is and what it is not. And so let's just start with the latter. Um, what embrace the suck is, is not to diminish or devalue the very painful experience that someone is going through. And it's also not to compare either. Someone's, Someone was talking about their own traumatic experience with me the other day and they were comparing it to mine. And it's like, like, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say I have the same challenges you have. And I said, whoa, whoa, well, pain is pain. Trauma is trauma. Suck is suck. This is not a comparison game. So um, it's, it's not that. And it's not a permission slip to tell people, Hey, just embrace the suck. It's kind of like it's absent of some context and it's not to say suck it up buttercup either. What, what embracing this suck is, is to acknowledge that what we're going through right here, right now, is painful. To what degree is up to the individual experiencing it, but it is painful. So it's not to diminish the pain. It's not to um, devalue the pain. It's not to dehumanize the pain. And to recognize what it really, really is. Suck is an opportunity to, if we're aware, 
there's going to be some growth here. There's going to be some learning. There's going to be some innovation. There's going to be um, when we sh- when we have shared suffering. So jump school in the military sucks. There's nothing really enjoyable about you know the, the two weeks of ground school we go through, and then the and the jump stage is fun. We jump out of an aircraft, but but the actual jump stage is really uncomfortable, incredibly difficult, very painful physically and mentally, and and so. It's, uh, but that shared pain with the other, with the other people on my jump course, that actually gives us strength. The shared pain when we're doing wind sprints and rugby practice gives us strength. The shared pain, um, well, maybe not shared pain, but the experience of childbirth, I did not feel the physical pain that my wife did, but that, that shared experience reduces the pain and it, and it, and it gives meaning to the pain you know, put our hands in an ice bucket of water and, you know, just set a timer. How long can we keep the hand in the ice bucket of water? Well, some people might last a few seconds, some a few minutes. But if we said for every second that you have your hand in this ice bucket of water, we are going to uh, donate 10 cents to XYZ charity. Well, all of a sudden we're going to have a marathon of people putting up with all sorts of pain and misery because it has meaning, it has purpose. So let's not, so it's a ref, it's ultimately what I encourage people is to, how do we reframe this experience that, that really sucks? So. Okay. Cause I was one, I was wondering that because I think there is, you know, at, on the surface, if you just hashtag embrace the suck, there is a little bit of that suck it up buttercup. Um, pain is good. You know, a little bit of that um, macho, kind of attitude. And I, I imagine you run into that with a military history and a rugby history. Sure. It could be easy sure. to go down that path. But I also know um, through our conversations that, you know, you talk a lot about vulnerability. You talk a lot about empathy. You talk a lot about um, things that are not typical kind of macho hashtag embrace the suck. So it's a really interesting, our conversations are always full of juxtapositions for me. Um, yeah. And so I'm sure that the viewer will get a little bit of that today, but let's, let's back up. Let's rewind a little bit. And maybe kick off like who is Vince Fowler and how did he get to be a business coach? So great question. Um, you know, I'm born and raised in Williams Lake, BC. Grew up with my mother, my grandmother. For the most part, I think this is pretty awesome. Um, I move around a lot, though. In a very small town, there's there's um, you know, in a very small town, about 15,000 people, by the time I'm in grade six, I'm actually attending my eighth school, school number eight. And it's, and there's a lot of bullying that I experienced as a kid, like really, really significant bullying. And so grade six, there's a, a classmate doing a presentation on D-Day, paratroopers jumping into World War II. I knew, I knew nothing about this and immediately identified with paratroopers. I said, I'm going to be a paratrooper. So just kind of over my head, there's a little jumper on a pedestal there that was that's something we get when we leave the airborne. So at the time I was like, I'm going to be a paratrooper and, and that way no one can pick on me. That way no one can pick on others. And I thought, you know, up until a couple of years, up until even six months ago, I actually, I thought I was joining the military to pick fights with bullies. So, but the real reason I joined the military was actually to, to feel safe. But I only, that only became apparent in my life in t- about six months ago. So um, I joined the military. I go to jump school. I become a paratrooper, uh, infantry, 
paratrooper deployment, Somalia, six month deployment to Somalia, get out. When the regiment is disbanded, I go into sales and with no experience really in sales, I'm selling photocopiers, which is door to door downtown Edmonton and then later at Calgary. Just knocking on the door. Hey, I'm Vince from Icon. Do you want to buy a photocopier, fax machine kind of thing? And I get ex- I actually get escorted out of a couple of buildings. <laughs> you know, that's nine, no solicitation. I just, you know, whether it's dyslexia right or just disregard, just walk right past. And um, and so, you know, for nine years of business to business selling, business to consumer selling, if that relationship was a woman, we had a terrible falling out, a big divorce. And I ended up recruited to a private school, coaching private school students in athletics. Um, character development was just sort of a given, but the athletics of the game rugby and, the, and then you know, just smart ways to work out in the gym. Um, and then, you know, 2008, the economy comes, kind of crashes. We really feel it in Calgary. I lose my job and I spend 16 months unemployed. And I'll tell you, that really sucked. I, I had, I really lost my identity is what happened. And looking back, it's, I've been told that I was experiencing a, like a major depression, a major depression disorder. So I was told. Um, uh, it's in remission, they say. I mean, I didn't even notice it, but I knew it sucked. It just sucked really hard. I didn't know how else to describe it. Uh, from there, I ended up, you know, eventually my, you know, my wife sat me down and says, look, if you don't get a job in three months, like we're screwed by Christmas, like royally screwed. So this was August. And in a month I had a job turned out to be at a, at a, at a business coaching firm with some other coaches and people had, you know, all sorts of brick and mortar clients, like home builders and, um, HVAC manufacturers and distributors and, 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 um, all sorts of stuff, healthcare, everything. And I ended up doing business development for them. And then from there I got certified initially a business coach really wrapped around the mechanics of a business. So if you think of a car, you know, we put gas in it, that's money and it works. So we have an engine and we have a transmission and we have a drive shaft. And so in business, all these things exist as well. We have marketing and conversion, which equals customers. And we have average dollar sale and number of transactions that equals revenue. Multiply that by a margin that equals profit. So there's the chassis of a business. But as time went on, I became more and more interested in the way the individual that owns the business, the way they think, the way they act, the way they behave. And um, initially I was told that you're not a life coach, you're a business coach. Stop going there. But I, I left the firm after about a year and a half and I went on my own and um, and so I just naturally gravitated more and more and more into the psychology of the business owner um, and you know for lots of different reasons uh, and that's where I live now I definitely understand the mechanics of business what I ultimately care is so for me I thought I had this whole personal professional development program dialed right and until I didn't <laughs> so <laughs> We're going to dig into that in a, in a second, I think. Um, First, I want to say hi to Judith because Judith says hi, Vince and Jeff. So hi, Judith. Thank you for tuning in. Judith is, uh, this lady's a rock star. This lady has, she should be a poster child for embrace the suck herself. This lady knows how to deal with the suck in real time. So glad she's here. 
Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. And for everybody else who's tuned in, feel free to say hi and feel free to ask questions. And so Vince and I are talking about embracing the suck and personal development and psychology and mindset around being a business owner. And if you have any questions at all, as they come up, don't, don't hesitate to just throw them into the comments and we will get to them in real time. Um, but actually I want to back up. Um, hi, John. John says, hi, nice to see you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for tuning in. Johnny O'Dell, just so you know, he and I were in the Airborne together. We infantry together, Airborne together, Somalia together. He and I go way, way back. So, Johnny, man, good to see you. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Yeah, and Matt, we'll just say hi to Matt. Nice to see you. For, well, hello, Matt. Uh, Thanks Matt for tuning in. Another in real time deals with suck stuff. Matt's a solid dude. Awesome, and your wife. I got to say hi to say hi to Danita. Thanks for lending your husband out for the evening and uh, letting them chat. Always. She's my greatest advocate for, for Vince. She's fantastic. <laughs> awesome. Let's back up a little bit because you mentioned it on the first podcast around the, the unemployment in between the edge school and going out on your, going into business coaching, right? There's that 16 yeah, month gap there and there's the, come to Jesus talk with Danita around yes. it's time yes. to like, we got, we got to go. Um, what, how important, and you talked a little bit about shared suffering with um, and shared pain and the meaning behind that shared pain. I, I'm interested in the, I, let me frame this question. It's, it's in my head and I'm going to try and frame it as best sure. I can. How important is it for you to think about personal growth and development not from just as an individual, but as a, as a unit or as a, like with us, with other people in your life. Cause I think that's one of my, just to give like full disclosure, I get frustrated with a lot of personal development. That's very individualistic in nature that yeah. doesn't take into account that actually the change you made, we can thank Danita for like for sure a good portion of that, or we can thank your children for a good portion of that. I know that I have people yeah. in my life that drive a lot of that. So how do you, yeah. How do we do that? How do we do personal development in relationship with other people? That's a big loaded question, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think a fast answer is vulnerability. Um, vulnerability and shared pain. And I didn't come up with that with my on my own. I I stole that from Brene Brown. So in the military, it's you just you have no choice but to be vulnerable, to recruit your friends, your teammates. Because one person, one of the things that the military is exceptionally great at is that there is no way anyone can get through basic training or infantry school or jump school or whatever the training is. There's no way to do it by yourself. One is too small of a number to um, like inspire a movement, climb Mount Everest and move a piano. Like what you cannot do it by yourself. So you must, and I say that absolutely, you must recruit the people around you to make it there's this um survival of the fittest narrative out there no it's sort of an incomplete sentence it's survival of those who stayed together those who just left the tribe and said screw you survival of the fittest died in 48 hours they probably got eaten by a lion or something so we need our tribe and in the military that tribe is with you 24 7 for basic training it's 10 weeks for infantry school it's 16 weeks so you get real good at being vulnerable which according to Brene Brown's research, is risk, um, uncertainty, and emotional exposure. There is no hiding the fact that you miss your family when you're, on a, when you're spending the first six months of your military career. 
um, away from them. There is no hiding from the fact that you're carrying an injury, whether it's a blister or a pulled groin. There's no hiding from the fact that um, your fitness level is not up to snuff and other people have to um, make up for it by doing laps around the slowest person on the run. Like there's just no hiding. So we it, like this, you know, Hollywood kind of messes people up. Rambo is all about one man who goes off and takes on the cartel, takes on whoever, you know, the triad. And that's just not real. You know, um, uh, Liam Neeson, um, uh, when his daughter's taken, like Liam Neeson all by himself, single-handedly, you know, the Czech underground, he goes and rescues his daughter. Like that doesn't, that shit doesn't happen in real life. We, uh, we do it together. So yeah, um, shared pain. And when we share pain together, when pain is shared, there's this pressure valve that gets released because we're not all carrying it. And, um, and just that vulnerability of risk, uncertainty, and, and emotional exposure, knowing that I can share whatever I want right here, right now. And my teammates aren't going to kick me out of the tent into the minus 55 degree weather. Uh, a friend of mine, we were in Somalia. He received a Dear John letter, meaning his girlfriend wrote him and said, hey, we're done. And my friend Chris was devastated, as you would imagine, because that relationship was rock solid prior. I mean, so we all thought prior to deployment. So, you know, we were there to console him. We all read the letter. We all took turns writing a letter back. You know, and then, you know, it wasn't long. Chris was kind of having a laugh. And yes, it was still painful, but we felt pain for him. And so together we we survived that experience together a whole lot better. It's interesting that you don't I don't usually associate vulnerability in the military, right? Those aren't two things that I think the average lay person would wouldn't equate the two and probably wouldn't pull that into their work as a business owner or as a leader or even as a parent or spouse, right? Like there's, there's still, I think, a conversation around vulnerability, especially let's face it as men around how, you know, that, that runs counter to some dominant narratives in society about what it means to be a man. Um, For sure. I, I, right now I, in the moment of just thinking about it, I really struggle to think of a lot of male figures just in Calgary. I think if we all go online, we're all going to see this guy and that guy, but if we look into the city of Calgary, who's a poster child for male vulnerability? You know, right now, no. I mean, Graham Sherman, Toolshed Beer, he might be one. Um, he's definitely talked about a lot of challenges as a business owner. Um, actually, Matt Boudreau is not. No, no, he's not very shy about talking about the challenges. Uh, he just left a. You know, he left a career of working in banking, and now he's a co-owner of of uh, Five Twenty One Coffee. He's a partner there, and plus, he's got his own coaching practice. So. He, he does a lot of really nice, great blogging and writing, and he talks about vulnerability all the time. But it just immediately to come to mind, you know, if you think of some well-known Calgarians, I, I, you know, I don't see it. I saw a lot of hurt Calgarians. I see a lot of hurt men hurting other men and hurting other people in their community. But there's this, um, there's this mantra of like, suck it up, buttercup, and just get on with it. And, you know, in the military, we'd say, reach down, squeeze your nuts, and soldier on. Not always helpful. I get the sentiment, <laughs> but uh, not always helpful. Not the most helpful advice. Yeah. Let's no. let's talk a little bit about pain and processing pain and whether that's, you know, I think 
probably emotional pain is what we're talking about when it comes to vulnerability and kind of most personal development. There's obviously the physical pain aspect that you'd be familiar with from, you know, military and athletics, you know, there's no shortage of physical pain. Um, but I think let's talk a little bit about emotional pain and, sure. and processing it because I think that it's embracing the suck actually means like embracing the pain and processing it, finding some purpose, finding some meaning, but not having it accidentally leak out and, and hurt other people. Like when you say hurt men, yeah. hurting other men, like, or hurting other people, like that's, that's a phenomenon for sure. Um, what are some, what are some practices maybe that you have for processing emotions or pain or things that you've learned or things you're practicing actively? Um, the, the very biggest one, the most important one right out of the gate is share, share the pain with someone who's earned the right to hear the story. Um, trying to manage, you know, psychological pain, emotional pain all by oneself, incredibly difficult to do. And so, you know, you and I, for example, um, and some of our divergent friends, we've, you know, we've reached out to each other. Hey, you know, like, Hey Jeff, so is trauma treatment supposed to feel like this? <laughs> you know, like share that pain with those who have earned the right to hear the story versus someone who goes on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever, and just does that emotional dump, that emotional download that has yet to be processed. That is like, you know, shining a light directly into someone's eyeball and they just, oh, and they look away. You know, like, oh, I didn't, I don't know what to do with all that. But if we, you know, the, when we, for example, you and I, when we share our emotional struggles that we're experiencing in real time, the other person's prepared for it and they know what to do with it. And they're there to listen and not there to fix. And that's, you know, um, a practice my wife and I have got, you know, with Danita and I will say, hey, I've got something to share and I just need you to listen. I don't need to fix anything. I just need you to listen. <laughs> so... So that's one. And, and two, people are going to probably roll their eyes when I say this one, but Netflix, watch a lot of Netflix. I'm kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> um, that's called numbing and running. Um, for me, it's exercise. So I'm not going to say this is everyone's thing, but I'm sure some people will still roll their eyes. But I got to a point where I've, I've been and I would say we've all heard of intermittent fasting. So I was intermittent exercising. There's an eye roll from Matt. There's an eye roll from Matt, yeah. So, but for me, it's daily weight-resistant, you know, weight-resistant exercise. And I'm on, I don't know, Friday was day 42. So today's day 45, I guess. But the, the psychological impact on the human brain from physical exercise is undisputed. And even the newest research today that's well-documented and, well, and peer-reviewed by many, many, many neuroscien neuro, neuroscientists, neurobiology, um, it's just short of there being a, a, you know, a, some sort of disconnect in the brain and someone has a real, say, traumatic brain injury. Um, for me, exercise is definitely the sweet spot. So every single day, you know, whether I'm up at 5.36 or a little bit later on the weekends, I'm going for a physical workout. I'm there for 45 minutes that is and followed by a meditation again i'm not telling everybody to meditate but i do every single day um those three things who earned my who earned the right to hear my story physical exercise it's it's the world's greatest antidepressant and um and meditation and those three things i will do for the rest of my life 
Yeah, they're that important to me. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And we'll, uh, we'll probably dig in to some more tips and strategies and resources and things that you've, you've experienced. We do have some comments. So I'm going to throw them up on the, on the screen and we can, uh, we can, we can chat about them. So here's another one from Matt, um, which pertains to our conversation a little ways back around toxic male mentality. Um, what a great way to lead to failure or burnout. Absolutely. The, the individual narrative that you just need to suck it up and, you know, be a man, I think is responsible for all kinds of unintended poor outcomes um, for men and for the people around them. There's this idea and speed of the leader, speed of the pack. So when the leader of whether it's the leader of the house uh, or the leader of the community or the company or the team, when the leader basically says, suck it up, buttercup, you you know, are you hurt? Are you just being a pussy? Um, That kind of language stifles, kills vulnerability. And it basically tells everybody, I am not safe to disclose that I'm hurting. If I disclose that I'm in pain, physical pain, emotional pain, I'm out of the unit. I'm out of the team. I'm out of the family. And that's scary, right? Because we don't, we, you know, we're also wired for belonging. And, you know, shit, I, I worked all my youth to be a member of the Airborne Regiment. I'm going some, you know, here I'm deployed to Somalia. John, you're on the line. You can, you can relate to this. I'm, you know, I, I'm really struggling. I'm missing relationships from back home. I'm, I've got a rash I cannot describe. Um, I'm frustrated with leadership, not so much in our platoon, but certainly in our commando and, and the regiment itself. And I've, I'm just pissed off all the time, but I can't say anything because if I do, you know, shut up, pussy is the language, right? I'm not trying to be, that's the language. And so all it does is kill, kills morale. It kills the narrative in the house. And it. And in my own mind, I think, well, what's wrong with me? Like, Am I broken? Everyone else here looking around, everyone else seems to have their act together except for me. Maybe I am. Maybe I am just this weak, shitty human. And, oh, and, and that narrative is not helpful, never will be helpful. That'll lead to all sorts of challenges. There's no, there's no road that leads us out from the, that question. Like what the, what's wrong with me question. I work with a lot of teachers. I, in fact, today I was working with a group of teachers. I work with a lot of helping professionals, addictions counselors, kind of across the gamut and corporate leaders. And my, like, that's my number one thing. I'm like, I never want a kid or any person, but particularly kids to ever wonder what's wrong with them and why they're broken. Because yeah. that, that leads us on a journey of trying to figure that out and try to fix ourselves and there's lots of quick promised fixes out there from addiction to the self-help aisle you know that's that spectrum of trying to fix what's broken um there's 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 no way to come back from that or there's there's no there's no good path right down that and there has to be that uh you know that little bit of and maybe this is a segue into some questions um which i'm going to think about while i put some other comments up because i want to acknowledge our viewers and thank you for coming out and you've got great things to say so terry is glad to hear vince's wisdom again so a repeat terry becker terry becker you you you're good Uh, Judith back says, uh, when we're talking about sharing the pain, um, with someone who's in your arena and that's very much, that's, uh, that's Brene's language. And it's from a quote, I believe, I forget who the quote is, uh, Theodore Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Yeah. Uh, It's right on my wall right there. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, people who are in the arena 
And then Heather is um, oh, concurring. Heather. What is My this? The Vince Fowler, is this the Vince Fowler fan club hour? Is everybody who's watching this? Oh, Heather yeah. and I go way back because of her. I drove my elbow through a fish tank. I was changing in my bedroom and she, her and her sister surprised me. And I was literally in the midst of putting on my shorts and, uh, it startled me and I, you know, I, I shocked and I drove an elbow right through the side of a fish tank and goldfish everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew Wonderful we'd be talking about that story, but thanks for being here, Heather. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. All right. So let's, Let's talk a little bit about let's talk about trauma um, because I think that that's a topic that when we talk about masculinity and when we talk about leadership, we talk about life in general. Yeah, we we don't give a lot of airtime, I think, to trauma, or at least we don't do it outside of like I talk about trauma all the time. But my background's in addiction and mental health, and that's it's that's a narrative yeah. and that's a conversation we have. Um, and I know that you've been doing some trauma work. And you've been you've been working through <laughs> trauma and experiencing post traumatic growth, um, and so maybe give us fill us in on your experience and thinking, and particularly helpful resources or things that you've experienced that have been most helpful. Because I firmly believe that we all carry trauma. Like we have, there's capital T trauma, very obvious. We can point to it and say that was traumatic. And there's little T trauma of asking ourselves too many times, "What's wrong with us? Why are we broken?" Um, shame stories like there's a yeah. there's a spectrum there of, of trauma and so i don't think it matters i think being human just in 2020 yep. means experiencing some trauma and so let's talk about that like what is it and and maybe or not even where what is it but like what's your relationship like to it because you mentioned you know six months ago there was a shift in uh, in your personal development journey yeah i'd love to dig into so- it I mean, let's, let's go there. Um, you know, I, I grow up, I do my thing. I join the army and, and I'm thinking, like I said, I'm joining the army to, to pick fights with bullies. And what I only discovered six months ago is I really, that wasn't the underpinning reason. The underpinning reason was I wanted to feel safe. And, um, so when I realized that it was, it was an emotional experience. Like we're talking snot bubbling tears and, and, uh, Kleenex and, and everything. Um, but also uh, a rebirth in many ways. So I grew up and, um, you know, it's almost three years ago now, my wife, Danita, got me an ancestry DNA kit and we've got it for our, she got it for both of us. So we both, we spit in a tube and send it off to Ireland, ancestry DNA. And just prior to the results, like when I was 17, I met my birth father. And so I'm adopted by my dad, Ralph Fowler. That's how I got my name. But my real name at birth was this Vincent Lampert kid. So I even got my little little mini baseball. Um, and the results essentially are my birth father is not my birth father. John Grant is not my birth father. And and I was like caught way off guard. And what is this? So long story short, turns out I'm actually a Brecknock, uh, Don Brecknock. And I won't get into all the, you know, what happened 31, you know, 48 years ago when it all happened, but essentially just all of a sudden it completely rocked my world. Who am I? I had no idea. Am I a Lampert? Am I a Fowler? Am I a Grant? Am I a Brecknock? Who am I? And in the process of that, now I'm having a conversation with my dad, um, with my birth father, 
And I'm saying, John, guess what? You know, you're, you're not my dad. My, I've got three sisters and a brother. Like this is the new, this is the new reality. And of course they all say, well, you're still my son. You're still my brother. And, and I, I return you. Yeah, you're still my dad. You're still my siblings. And so over the next two and a half years, things in my life start to unravel like from the inside out. And, uh, and, and in the beginning, like I've got military coping mechanisms. I got athletic coping mechanisms. I got professional coping mechanisms for my own industry. And I, you know, I got a library of, I don't know, a hundred some books and, and most of them I read twice all around psychology and everything. And I'm unraveling from the inside out. And, and it's like a death of a thousand cuts. So you wouldn't know it from one day to the next, but you'd know it on a, on a, on a sliding scale month over month. As it turns out, I have a cousin, Martin Brecknock. He lives in Scott. Uh, sorry. He lives in Hong Kong. And he says, Hey, can you get me some poppies? I say, sure. I go to the Legion. I pick some up and I'm going to mail them to him. And in the process of picking them up, there's a case officer there and he, we bump into each other. We start to chat. Turns out we know a common friend. Turns out was who my platoon commander in Somalia. So we just sit down and we shoot the shit. And, you know, he checks in on me. Like I've got a foot pension. I've got a, um, a tooth pension. So, you know, he's like, and all these little innocent conversations lead to a question that he asks. How'd you like to spend some time at the OSI clinic with our team? which is code for how would you like to see a psychologist at the operational stress injury clinic, post-traumatic stress? Well, my immediate response is, hell yeah, if I can get some free psych and share with my buddies and my, my clients, sign me up. So five weeks later, I'm in the, in the uh, sitting in front of these psychologists, and four hours later, I am completely unraveled. Like throw a ball of yarn in the room and – it's nothing but a long thread now. And I'm a mess. I'm emotionally just destroyed. And two weeks later, I come back and it's a 17-page report, post-traumatic stress disorder. One of the things I really appreciate about our relationship, Jeff, is you helped me reframe all of that to um, it's, a, it's a stress response. And man, oh man, was that ever helpful. I don't, I very much dislike the word disorder. I already have ADHD, which is a learning difference, not a learning disorder. But to, to read post-traumatic stress disorder, I was incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, first of all, how could this be possible? I've been out of the military for 23 years. Um, I, I went on one deployment, not a combat tour. We had a couple little, you know, shootouts. I would, you know, a couple rounds fired here and there, but nothing significant. We had, um, Outside of that, you know, nothing significant. I have many, many friends who were killed in Afghanistan on combat tours. So how could this be true? It's been so long. How could this be true? I mean, first of all, I'm a, I'm a high-level athlete in my past. I, I've got all my, I got my shit together. How could this be true? And all I can say is that my two psychologists the, at, the, at the OSI clinic, and all they deal with is military and, and RCMP veterans. And just layer by layer, like peeling back an onion, just layer by layer by layer, they just started like taking this all apart. And so embrace this suck was already a phrase in my life, has been for a long time. It's military slang. Um, um, if we Google it, the consi- uh, to, con- to consciously accept and appreciate something that is extremely unpleasant yet unavoidable for forward progression. Um, so going back to who's earned the right to hear this story, my wife, you, 
our other divergent friends um, exercise very quickly. Well, not quickly, um, but exercise did become an intervention for me. And meditation was already there. I just amped it up. Um, and when people ask me today, hey, Vince, how are you doing? I can honestly say I can look them in the eye and I can say I've never felt better. But there was a time going into this, I everything was destroyed in my life. Oh, the other piece, I'm a fraud. You know, who in the world is going to believe, especially my friends who who have 30 plus years and multiple combat tours, if they ever find out that I'm playing the PTSD card, they're probably going to visit me in the middle of the night and stab me. Like, I'm being slightly facetious, but that's the narrative. That That's the narrative. I mean, that's not true, but that's the narrative. No one's going to believe me. They're going to think I'm just milking the system. So, um, and it took me a while to even disclose this to my clients. I eventually did. And I disclosed to all of them. And Judith, you're on the call today. You know, when I told Judith, I was, well, Judith has actually seen a couple meltdowns of mine. I mean, usually it's my client melting down in front of me. But um, but in this particular case, Judith has earned the right to hear my story. And one day she just said, how, you know, she could tell, how are you doing? And this is before the diagnosis. It's like, I have no idea who I am right now. And I was working through this whole, who's my daddy business. So, so there's the experience with trauma and I've been putting my life back together one emotion at a time. Uh, no joke. This is not here just for entertainment's sake, but this uh, emotional wheel is by my desk on my desk at all times because I, one of the layers we pulled back is my relationship with anger. I didn't have a relationship with anger, not a, not a functional one. I can deal with fear and surprise and happiness and sadness and disgust, but I had a very, very unhealthy relationship with anger. We're talking some pretty epic passive aggressive behaviors when I get angry. In rugby, I can punch people. No one really cares except for the person getting punched. But, but oh, ruined. So putting myself to back together, one emotion, one feeling at a time, Real deal, man. It's a journey. And uh, yeah, I mean, I appreciate you sharing it um, with with me and and the listeners. And I know a lot of the listeners on the live call are people that are close to you or that are, are friends of yours. And actually, I want to throw some, Matt's given us a high five, um, double high five. So thanks, thanks Matt. Man. And uh, he also says, and I agree with this, that anyone that knows Vince knows he would not milk the system ever. So that's important to uh, that narrative. Yeah. Right, that, but, but it's interesting, the narrative that we carry, the stories that we carry, and sometimes the disconnection between, between what's true and then uh, some hearts from, uh, from Judith. So thank you, Judith. Um, so thinking about the journey, like what I'm, – I'm I've got a couple of curiosities, and we can tackle them in any order. And I should, yeah. as a better host, I would ask them one at a time, but i got to dump them out on you now. So just uh, – okay. yeah, you have to deal. Um, what – what's the sign of an unraveling life? And so I'm, I'm curious about some of like a bit more, like what was it that was unraveling for you and how did you know? Because I think particularly in this time, like we're all the base, the threshold stress baseline, I believe has just shifted the people I'm talking with, the clients that I'm talking to, like the stress levels are just higher. The, the like the full stress load that we're all carrying yeah. is just elevated. Yeah. And I see behaviors in myself. And I think, you know, when I talk to you and I talk to some of our divergent friends who are all pretty disciplined, you know, we've got some athletes, we've got coaches, we've got like a wide range of folks. And when, when I start to suffer, when my habits start to slip, when things start to unravel a little bit for me, I'm like, Ooh, 
like shit, like I'm usually pretty disciplined. And so the fact that I gained 10 pounds through COVID, that's all that, that'll be unraveling in my yeah. world. Right. It's like, that's not good. Um, so that's a, that's a curiosity. Maybe we'll just start there. How does somebody know what unraveling means or looks like? And then what, like, what, what are some action steps on the front end of the journey? Maybe, um, would be a curiosity. So the unraveling for me is numbing behaviors, uh, could be Netflix, could be just incessant scrolling on Facebook. Uh, Facebook's my social application, uh, social drug of application or whatever. Facebook's the drug. Um, I'm very active and proactive on LinkedIn, but I don't get lost in it. And I don't really get lost in Instagram either. But Facebook, I can get lost in. Um, uh, picking fights in dumpster fires on social media, who's right, who's wrong, what's you know, completely unproductive experience. Um, withdraw like complete and utter withdraw from, from friends, from family members, um, uh, including sometimes my kids, uh, hiding. Um, there, there's been points where, where, uh, through November, December, and even, I think even parts of January where, you know, Monday, I typically don't have client meetings. And so Mondays would just all stack up. Also, I had, I have my, uh, my sessions with my OSI clinic. A psychologist. So Mondays were incredibly difficult to get out of bed. And I, you know, I just, I couldn't willpower my way out of bed. And then the course, the, the narrative inside my head, like get out of bed, jerk, get out of bed, you lazy bastard, get out of bed. You, you know, descriptor, descriptor, descriptor. And none of those are healthy. And then not disclosing any of this to my wife, right. Not disclosing any of this to Danita. And so here she is walking around thinking that, you know, that, you know, my, my narrative is clearly has to be her right like in the absence of data we make up a story and her story started to think well what you know what am i as a wife doing wrong i was like jesus like you're not doing anything wrong i'm the i'm the i'm the mess up in this relationship i'm the i'm the screw up here so um and then emotional eating like you know i buried a lot of chocolate bar wrappers and a lot of bag of chip wrappers in the garbage in the in the garage between getting out of the car and then coming into the house so those are just some one of the things that i'm very grateful for is my Drug of choice has never been alcohol or drugs because back to that relationship with anger, I do not want angry Vince to show up. So I would never influence angry Vince by taking any kind of a drug or alcohol. So I've, I've always been really disciplined in that area, never to drink when I'm sad. I drink when I'm happy and I'll have a little drama scotch or something, but but never that. So that's the unraveling part. And those are just some pieces of it. Uh, the second part of your question, remind me again, the, just the front end of the journey for people when they see an unraveling or they're feeling a bit of an unraveling, what are some, what are some actions that you when you get to that point where it's like, Oh shit, I think, I think there's maybe something that I need some help with. Um, because I think as a coach, you probably are on the receiving end of requests for help. Yeah, and yeah. as somebody who's you know, also sought help, like you're in an interesting position to have some insight into what yeah. sort of barriers are to asking for help and some, some proactive strategies. to. Sure. So you and I are, we share the, our divergence peer advisory group. So the OSI clinics already built in veterans affairs is taking care of that. But that's once a week. And as divergence in our peer advisory group, 
we meet monthly, but we check in, you know, we check in weekly. And so I would say to anybody is for me, what I've did is I started checking in more often weekly. And, and one of the questions in our peer advisory group is, you know, what's an area that I need help in? And I'd say, I need you to, I just need you to reach out. I need you to check in on me. So I've got my wife checking in on me. I've actually got a couple clients now starting to check in on me. How are you doing? <laughs> Which is a really v- bit of an odd experience when my, when my clients are checking in on me. Um, I've got uh, the meditation. I started to amp up the meditation. Um, I started some, like in the beginning of COVID. COVID was actually, for us, it was excellent because it brought us together. It didn't tear us apart. So I saw my kids more. I saw my wife more. There was a there was significantly less travel. I was putting on about three thousand kilometers a month, and I went to two hundred kilometers a month. You know, basic, which was just groceries. So, um, so for me, that was just innately built into the routine. Was uh, surrounded by family, and then my relationships with you and the rest of our our our, our divergent colleagues. So to anybody, I would say, if you don't have a a really strong network, I also have another group of men in my life that I've been a part of for a very long time, but I had actually withdrawn from this. So we talked about what does unraveling look like. I withdrew from a men's group I participated in for about six years, seven years, but I still maintain individual relationships with inside of that. So a few of them have checked in on me. They're very familiar with my diagnosis. Um, But back to those three things, you know, share with people who have earned the right to hear the story and um, exercise wasn't yet a part of it, but uh, I was my wife and I and our kids, we were walking around the pond going from bike rides. I started doing mountain bike riding on my own and then just the daily meditation. And there's a few guided ones. Um, Sarah Blondin is uh, actually out of Vancouver, Vancouver Island. So her, her voice and her narratives or her, um, her scripts are just, they were, they were exactly a perfect prescription for where my headspace was. And then slowly started to um, reach out to a couple army buddies that I, that I know well over the years. And I just said, Hey, uh, guess what? Hoping I didn't get kicked out of the tribe. And I, of course I didn't, but um, that was been very helpful. So we, we chat now and then about that too. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. There's some great insights there. Like a little bit of a fix, you know, back to, you know, the foundations of, of what works. And I think having, you know, for you, you've got a little bit of a blueprint and I think we probably all have a little bit of a blueprint for like what could work for us. What's worked in the past few of your questions. So I'm going to throw them up on the screen and uh, we can maybe tackle those and then, I don't want to keep you away from Danita too long tonight. It is, and it's a Monday we, night, so we, I'm sure there's work tomorrow. So we'll, yeah. uh, I, w- I would preface all of this to, too. Yeah, I'd, I'd preface all of this too that, you know, there is no one way. There is no one way. There's just a way. Um, there's no one way that post-traumatic stress presents itself. There's no one way that alcoholism presents itself or drug addiction presents itself. There's just no one way. Therefore, there's no one way for treatment. Um, and when someone says, this is the way I'd say, well, that might be your way, but I'm perfectly comfortable to say it ain't my way. 
So someone else could say, dude, I'm not going to work out. I'm not going to share. I'm not going to do this. Well, I would say you probably should share because even in AA, what do they do? They sit and share. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's some pretty good science around exercise. I think there's some pretty good science around uh, meditation. But, but still, there's no one way. There's just a way. When you, we think about, or when I think about problems, I like to, I, I need to make sure like a really, it's really important for me in the work that I do is understanding what's a problem and what's a symptom of a problem. Because yes. oftentimes what we call the problem, what we affix the problem label to is actually a symptom of the problem or it's a coping mechanism or it's a numbing or it's an escape or it's a whatever. So, you know, about a dozen years of working with teenagers in addictions treatment, they'd come to the program because they had addictions, an addiction problem. And we actually would rarely talk about addiction. We'd rarely talk about drug use. We would talk about what is it they care about and why, how does drug yeah. use make sense for you given this? And I think that lends this to that reframe around making sure that we accurately locate the problem. If we're experiencing one with teenagers in particular, it goes a long way because what ends up happening often for parents, and I'm assuming there's a, there's a question here for Ryan around some kids of his own or some kids that he knows and looking at like what's a symptom and what's a problem because oftentimes we'll try and tackle what we think is the problem only to then run into resistance or withdrawal right and that's kind of what ends up happening so there's a and if we don't accurately name the problem and recruit the teenager or the young person in accurately locating and naming the problem for them right we risk misusing our power to try and fix a problem that's actually just a symptom of something else that's going on and we risk damaging the relationship um and that's ended up being a lot of the work that we did in addiction treatment was actually just family reconstruction therapy which is like let's get back on the same page let's get a shake differentiating between behaviors that might be coping mechanisms for stress especially isolation like covid like that again that base stress level is so much higher now um but that for sure. naming a problem is is really important, um, and, and versus symptom. Well, one of the one of the behaviors that I displayed in Somalia was just uh, a certain amount of insubordination and a certain amount of just really off bad humor, and a lot of this was a re- so that was this that was sort of that was my top level behavior, and you would think I was just well maybe didn't get enough sleep or maybe I would, didn't you know. Uh, wasn't being fed enough or whatever, but the underlying problem to all of this was actually, I did not feel safe. And this actually tethers back to my childhood where I was rarely safe. So we won't go there because it's not, it's not why we're here, but it was, we were deployed without a redeployment date. That's one. Like we left on the December 19, my platoon anyways, me and Johnny, our commando, we left on that timeline. Um, so Johnny and I are in the same platoon, Johnny Odell. And we left without a redeployment date. That doesn't really happen. We left without maps. Where in the world do we go on deployment without a map? And our commsets, the Americans had little small four or five pound commsets. And we had these heavy 25 pound World, you know, World War II, not quite World War II, definitely Vietnam era radio sets that were uh, we only had one per section and ultimately five per the platoon out of 35 men, we've got five radio sets. So if one, if, you know, battery's dead or 
the other the backup batteries pooched like we're screwed and we got how do we call in help when we've got no maps so the i was the level of you know the, the level of uncertainty the level of lack of safety was amplified so high in my head that i you know might be it started to squeeze my behavior right and like i said there's there's some back history in life but at any rate so yeah problem we got to mine for the problem we got to look for the problem we, what tap rooting is another expression if no one's ever heard of it google tap rooting about what's behind all of this so yeah and i think your people are probably familiar with like a trauma response around fight flight and 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 freeze that's kind of a classic like that's how we're wired sure. when we experience danger and you know sure. lack of safety will you know punch the person run away or freeze like that's the that's built into us as humans um i i've have a i've developed a bit of an acronym for the the subtler versions of that it's called the raw responses r-a-w and it's resistance acquiescence withdrawal and so those are essentially the same but not as dramatic so you don't have to punch a wall to resist right? Lots of teenagers resist their parents or resist their teachers, yeah. right? Sounds like you might've resisted your platoon commander a little bit, or you might've been a little bit of a resistor. I was, right? that might- I was definitely resisting chain of command. I was really, really frustrated with the leadership in chain of command. Um, it was inconsistent in some cases, not all, but certainly in some cases it was beyond dysfunctional. And this is a military deployment, like uh, in a world where we just don't, you know, first of all, the internet didn't exist. Um, so, you know, supplies and resupply was limited. Another reason not to feel safe. Um, we had open fire policies that were one, two, three, four, but am I still safe to do it? Am I still safe to follow up? So you safety, know, I think all roads, yeah, I mean, all roads eventually, I think, lead to safety. Like we're wired to keep ourselves safe in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so, yeah. Again, so back to Ryan's question, just around, you know, the the effect on teens is to be really like observant of the behavior and then, but not to label the behavior as the problem, to dig beneath the behavior to say, how does this make sense in light of this context around this teen, maybe not feeling safe, or maybe the uncertainty of the world or the disconnection from peers, or like, there's going to be a driving force. And once we identify what the need is, we can hold on to that and try and meet that need as opposed yeah. to try and quell the behavior. We spend a lot of time chasing behaviors in ourselves and in other people, as opposed to finding those root, some of those root causes. So um, hopefully that's helpful, Ryan, but that's probably a podcast episode all in itself is just talking about um, raising people, little people, parenting. Yeah, it's a, a hard job. So um, yeah. How do we, like, this is a big conversation. And so I'm curious about, what you want to leave off? Like, what do you want to leave our listeners with as far as a parting piece of, of advice or a learning or a story that illustrates some of these concepts? Um, anything you haven't mentioned yet that you have found helpful, whether that's a book or a podcast or a, a, a practice of yours? Um, yeah. I'm gonna- yeah. I'll leave with, um, I'll leave with two pieces. One's a, a story and one's a practice. So, we hear a lot about negative thinking and you know, what is it? So just for a point of reference, we have 60,000 thoughts a day. We probably speak 150 words a minute, but we think, you know, some research says a thousand words a minute. 
I kind of double down on about 250 to 500 words a minute. Can't even comprehend a thousand words a minute of thinking. So our thoughts are all over the place. And if you think of thoughts, think of them in terms of, you know, if we make it oversimplified, let's just say 50% of our thoughts are probably negative. We really can't control that because they're like pop-up windows on a web browser. They're just popping up all over the place and 60,000 a day. That would just drive anybody nuts. What we can do though is we can introduce a new thought. We can kind of pin that thought in our browser. So we can't control initial negative thinking, but we can control, we, we can introduce a new thought. If all we did, and this is one of the things I took away, um, Trevor Moad's book, uh, uh, It Takes What It Takes. So Trevor Moad's the author. And um, one of the things I learned from him, perfect timing being in January, was that, you know, when when we say something in our mind and we say it out loud, it's amplified to a, like a power of 10. But when it's negative, it's another four to seven times more. So that's 40 to 70 times more greater than positive. And here's the situation, you know, someone tells me I've got a post-traumatic stress diagnosis or someone tells you, you know, someone, you know, listening, they find out that, you know, they've, they've, they're diagnosed with cancer. Well, that sucks. And right, right now we just can't say, well, come on, you know, just be positive. I mean, that's going to repulse people. We're going to want to smoke them in the nose. So what's the alternative? Negative? No, no. We want to stay neutral. When, when things are going backwards, we can't, and you know, like a car transmission, we just, we just can't drive the transmission from going in reverse right into forward. We're going to wreck the tranny. So we got to put it in a neutral, slow down and then turn around and then go pot and then go forward. So while positivity doesn't always work, negative always does. And it works negatively. So if we can just do one thing, well, we can't control the thoughts as well. We can pin a thought, introduce a new thought. Um, uh, just don't voice negative thought out loud. So in my house, we adopted one of Trevor Moad's sayings and it's don't say stupid shit out loud. <laughs> and, and so here's here's a real life example. Captain Smith, not his real name, he became the platoon commander of five platoon in the in the regiment when Johnny and I were there. And on his very first jump, he broke his ankle. I forget which one; doesn't really matter. He broke his ankle. And so anybody breaks something, you go through the normal you know medical procedure, get cast, and all that jazz. So prior to jumping, you've got to go through a airborne refresher, which means more landing swings, more more flight swings, and Big one's landing because he broke his leg on landing, broke his ankle on landing. Well, on the very next jump of the regiment, he breaks his other ankle. So one, he gets nicknamed glass ankles forever. But number two, just prior to jumping, someone made the comment, don't go break your other ankle. Why, why did you say that out loud? So because it was said out loud, did that make it happen? We don't know. But the fact remains that, it was on his mind. Uh, Sarah, and I'm going to screw up her last name. She's Sarah, Sig Sarah Sigmund Deuter, um, ranked 37th in, in um, at least three months ago in CrossFit competition, like world rankings. Uh, 2017 fall competition breaks a rib. She was on the leaderboard, completely gutted, you know, frustrated and sad and tears. And, uh, very next competition in, in uh, tw spring 2018, she breaks her rib again on the first day. Now, here's the creepy part. Word for word, her words. I've even got it on video on the Netflix special. Her and her personal trainer were joking. Wouldn't it suck if, we, if I break my rib on the first day of comp? 
Why say that out loud? Like, because she said it out loud, did that make it happen? We don't know. But the fact remains that it was on her mind. So don't say stupid shit out loud. Don't give, leave it all to chance. Like I said, positivity may not work, but negativity always does and it works negativity. So in our house, no saying stupid shit out loud. Our kids, 10 and 12, they are allowed to say, dad, don't say stupid shit out loud. It's fair. <laughs> so really avoiding that negative verbalization. I can't, I have negative thoughts every day, but I have, I just don't say them out loud. Don't, um, don't amplify them. Don't give them uh, do don't give them power. Don't amplify them. None of that. Okay. Here's the practice that I have. And I picked this up from my, from Dr. May and, um, she calls it a body mind scan. So, in the military, we have this expression: "We're going to go do a recce, a reconnaissance." And a recce, uh, we're you know, my my section did this, and our platoon did this a number of times. A recce is a small group of men, and it's just to sneak around and peek around. It's not to solve problems; it's just to capture information and bring it home. That's it. It's a reconnaissance. So, um, when we do a mind body a uh, mind body scan every single morning on the way to the gym. It, uh, I used to listen to music now or a podcast. Now I don't. It's a body-mind scan. And, and the first question is, what am I feeling in my body? Well, at 5.30 in the morning, my ankles kind of hurt. My knees kind of hurt. I'm dehydrated. My back's a bit stiff. But that's really about it. I go through my five senses. I can, I can hear my own voice. All this is said out loud. I can hear my own voice. I can see the traffic. I can smell. You know, my car smells fine and clean. Nothing smells weird. Um, I can taste the dry mouth, and and so I grab a glass of water in the car, drink water, and um, and I can feel the steering wheel. I can feel my leg if I pinch my leg. So it's it's a, what am I feeling in my body? Second question is what am I feeling emotionally? So this morning I was like, you know what, I'm not really feeling anything. I'm sort of just kind of flatlined. I'm excited for my day because I know this is coming, but that's really a kind of it. Cool, that's it. And then what am I thinking about? So this morning I said, well, I'm thinking about some of the notes I want to make sure I get right. I'm thinking about, I want to keep my workout under 45 minutes. Um, I'm thinking about, I should probably tell Danita I'll take Hayden to school this morning. And that's it. All of this is to capture information. None of it's for the purpose of solving the, anything that pops up. It's just data capture. That's it. And so on the way home from the gym, I'll probably do it again. Throughout the day, I'll probably do it again. In the beginning, it was a bit of a habit to start. I might have only done it once a week, but now I do it multiple times a day. So those, you know, don't say stupid shit out loud and constantly mind body scan. And, you know, when I come with the mind body scan and I say, oh, that's an interesting thought. I wonder where that came from. This is a pen. You know, this pen isn't you and it's not me. It's a pen. And if I could safely insert it in our heads, well, the you know, pens now in our head, is the pen you? And the answer is no. The pen is a pen. It's just in my head. So it's the same as thoughts. The, the thoughts are not me, no more like the pen is me. I'm just the first one to hear it. And so instead of acting on my thoughts, I can say, hmm, that's a really interesting thought. Or that's a really interesting response. Like say I have an emotional response to something. A guy was speeding this morning on the way to the gym and cut me off. And I was like, you little prick. And I was like, oh, well, that's an interesting response. What are you going to do about it? Well, I'm not going to speed up. I'm just going to, I'm just going to drive, you know? So yeah. 
a couple things. So, no, I really, I, I like that. We used to do body, body scans a lot in, in treatment and, and it's probably a practice that I've fallen out of. So that's a good reminder for me to, uh, to get back into. I've started to do it with, uh, with my children. Yeah. No, I think that's a, Even that's a habit that, uh, that can be learned. What are you early. thinking? What are you feeling emotionally? What are you feeling in your body? We're just checking out. We're just looking for things. We're not trying to solve anything. Yeah. And we've got some agreement from, uh, from our viewers that it is, it is so important and yeah, mindfulness in general. And I think that's probably a, different topic for a different day is is mindfulness and meditation and like the intersection there uh, there's a lot of interesting research but there's also um yeah so some promising practice around life in general and our, our level of mindfulness so um but i won't keep that, you on uh, too much longer and i just say that the research that's coming out now like in real time right now is phenomenal what people knew five years ago compared to what they know now about neurobiology and, and psychology, it is just, it's so exciting. They're like, they're just having some really big wins. And again, all of this stuff is peer reviewed, the stuff that's getting reported on peer reviewed. And um, which just means for those who don't know what that means is multiple professionals in the, in the industry, whether it's, it's neuroscience or whatever, they can run the same, they can run the same test or they can run the same protocols and get the exact, you know, very similar exact results. So it's not just one person's idea. Everyone's like, yeah, if I do this, this, and this, like you did, I'm finding the exact same results too. That's so that's peer reviewed. And it's, um, so it's phenomenal. Like the research on exercise, the research on meditation, the research on sleep, that's just blowing me away. And I'm my own case study for my clients. I'm not telling my clients anything that I haven't already done. <laughs> and it's obviously working for you. Um, so awesome. There's a couple of, a couple of thank yous that I want to throw up on the, uh, on the screen just to acknowledge uh, that we, we did see him. So Terry says, thanks Vince. Thanks Terry for tuning in. My pleasure in. Terry we Becker. Appreciate it. Love you pal. Uh, Ryan says, thank you Jeff and Vince for a great talk. Thumbs up. Thank Vince. I just facilitate. I just get him on screen and let him start talking. So thank you, Vince, for uh, thanks for the swag, Ryan. Love it. <laughs> uh, thanks, Jill, for tuning in, um, and thank you for your service. Thank Vince. you, Jill. Um, her husband served in Africa as well. Ah, so, served in Africa right. as well. There's a few places we've been. Well, thank you, yeah. thank you for your service, your husband. John says thanks, Vince, and he can totally relate. So, got Johnny O'Dell. Here's the thing about Johnny O'Dell. He's I'm 250. I bet Johnny's half my size, not in height, but certainly in weight. And that guy can carry a rucksack equally as heavy as is the biggest man in the unit. Like I was, he's from Newfoundland, and but he's up in uh, Grand Prairie. And um, and Johnny always had perfect, timely humor and strong as an ox. Nothing got him down. He was so great, uh, you know, uh, just a phenomenal friend. And and um, I'm glad we're in the same province because that means we're, it's going to be a lot easier for us to cross paths. So awesome. Heather says thanks. Thank you, Heather, for tuning in. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, I'm going to have to pry you for some more stories about Vince uh, <laughs> at some point. And Judith says great talk. Thank you, Judith, for uh, for tuning in and uh, and your questions and and coming along for the journey. So. Good. And John's just clarifying, not Newfoundland, Labrador. Oh, but. sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. 
Awesome. Well, Vince, it's a pleasure as always to talk to you and thank you for carving out some time and thank you for your insights, your vulnerability, your, uh, your showing up as a full person and a full human. And uh, I greatly appreciate having you in my life and yeah. Likewise. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, my pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for number one, the invite, of course, I would support you any day of the week, twice on Sunday. And I would just say that, you know, like I am who I am because of the community and the people I bring my, that I bring into my inner circle. And you're absolutely one of them. Um, you're wise beyond your years, like literally beyond your years. I'm 50. I think you're 37 and that's not ageism. I'm just saying like you have this depth of wisdom and compassion and intimacy and empathy that, um, and you're equal, like you're other centric, like, you know, all these things, but I just, the world needs to know that like you're one of the greatest human beings in my life. And I, I am where I am because of some of the, uh, some, some of the great kindness and insights you shared with me. So that cannot go without being said. Well, you're, you're too kind. And, and like, yeah, I am. Back I, you. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, anyone who isn't a client of Vince's, which apparently all of you are. So that's great. But if you're not a client of Vince and you have a business, you're a business owner, uh, you probably should be a, a client of Vince. So you can check out and learn more about him at vincefowler.ca. I'll have links in the show notes uh, for people to check out as well as links to things that Vince mentioned uh, on the podcast and, and you know, ra- random, you know, link back to our first episode, our first chat together as well. So uh, check out Vince. And if you want to catch this show or previous shows you can check out jeffgoulard.com slash powerful um that's where i I store all these as audio podcasts as well as some clips some snippets out of each conversation uh, video so thank you again everybody for tuning in and thank you so much vince i look forward to chatting with you again soon for sure man thanks pal embrace the sack